My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Friday the 27th of October. I'm Zara Seidler. I'm Billy Fitzsimons. Good to have you back, Zara. Good to be back. And you might be wondering where Sam has been all this week. Well, he's actually been in the US to cover Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's state visit. And he somehow managed to interview two very senior people at the White House, one of whom is Corinne Jean-Pierre. And if you don't recognise her name, I'm sure you would recognise her face. She is the person who stands in front of dozens and dozens of American journalists day in and day out to speak on behalf of the president. Before we get to TDA's chats with the White House, though, Billy, what is making headlines today? The Australian Federal Police have accused seven people of running a money laundering operation allegedly worth $229 million. Three Australian citizens and four Chinese nationals were charged for their alleged involvement in the money laundering syndicate, which the AFP say was the most complex investigation in national history. And just a reminder, money laundering is a practice of cleaning money obtained through illegal activities to make it appear as though it came from legitimate dealings. A city in the US state of Maine has been put into lockdown following a mass shooting resulting in multiple fatalities. At least 22 people were killed in Lewiston, Maine on Wednesday night US time. Police have identified a 40-year-old man as a person of interest and this will come up in today's deep dive. A 21-year-old woman has been found dead at a school in Sydney. The woman's death is being treated by police as a homicide. Her body was discovered on Wednesday evening at St Andrews Cathedral School, where she had been working as a water polo coach. Police are searching for one person of interest. And the good news. Trams in Melbourne are set to become more accessible from next year. 12 additional level access tram stops will be built in the Melbourne CBD, which will help elderly passengers and those with young children step onto the trams. Good morning, it's Sam, and I am in the White House in Washington, D.C. to cover Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's U.S. state visit. Now, Albanese was here for a four-day visit to Washington, culminating in a state dinner at the White House last night. Now, a state visit is not just any leader visit to the White House. It's almost like the whole of Washington completely shuts down. There's another nation's flag next to the US flag across the city, and the White House itself transforms into a place where multiple ceremonies and functions are held over a really compact two- or three-day period. It's a really big deal. Albanese is actually only the third Australian Prime Minister in 20 years to receive this honour. Now, when a PM travels overseas, he almost always takes a press pack with him. And what that means is it's a group of travelling Australian media that follow the PM and cover his or her movements for our audiences back home. Now, for the first time ever, the Daily Oz was part of that travelling Australian press pack. But you know us, we didn't want to just be part of the pack. We wanted to do something a bit different. So over the last few weeks, we've been working really hard at securing some interviews while we were at the White House. From when we started the conversations with the White House to when we actually were in DC this week, the news agenda, and therefore what we wanted to talk about in the interviews, totally shifted. 
Now, even though major news events like the growing conflict in Israel and Gaza or the leadership dramas on Capitol Hill may not directly affect the US-Australia relationship, it undoubtedly forms a context that is impossible to ignore when you're visiting arguably the most powerful leader in the most powerful building in the world. So when I got the opportunity to sit down with two of President Joe Biden's most important White House officials, that's Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre and National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby, I wanted to ensure that I didn't just ask them about the US-Australia relationship, but about that wider context. Now, to be honest, and I haven't seen this anywhere else, so I'm comfortable-ish making this claim, these are the only one-on-one interviews secured by an Australian outlet during this state visit. That is pretty cool, and that's something we're really proud of. And I think it's a testament to the journalism TDA works so hard to bring you every single day. So first, I sat down with Admiral John Kirby. He's the spokesperson for the National Security Council. In other words, it's his job to convey the views of President Biden and the White House on all things foreign policy, global and domestic security, and the military. My focus with him for this interview was on the Israel-Gaza conflict. Here's that chat. Admiral Kirby, thank you for joining us at The Daily Oz. You bet. Glad to be here. I was really interested to hear in your press briefing today, you explore the differences between a ceasefire and a humanitarian pause. Can you explain the difference between the two and and what you're advocating for at the moment? Yeah, what we're talking about with the humanitarian pause is temporary lapses in localized places to allow assistance to get in uh, or for people to leave. Um, It's really a question of duration and scale and size and localized temporary for discrete purposes uh, to again allow people to get access to the life-saving medical care or food and water or or a chance to leave a ceasefire is 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 you know basically just everybody putting their arms down for a Mm. little bit and and stopping the fighting and i understand the attractiveness of of that idea we all do Mm. Uh, but right now a ceasefire only benefits hamas it, why, why it gives them the time and the space to do more preparation, to conduct more attacks. Um, it, it gives them exactly what, they, what they've been asking for. Wouldn't it also uh, benefit agreement. the Palestinian people who are getting rockets to them as if, well? If the purpose of this uh, operation and this campaign is, to, is to, to, uh, to go after Hamas leadership, to disable and defeat their ability to, to do the kinds of things that they did on October 7th, mm. then we don't believe now is the time uh, to, to lighten up and to give them breathing, t- breathing space and time. We just don't. The thing that I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks is just how far back this has set the world in terms of finding a peaceful uh, solution to Israel, Gaza, Palestine. And that's why the president's been working so hard to mm. get to a two-state solution. And if we can get to a two-state solution so that the Palestinians can le- live in equal justice, peace, security, and independence uh, as their Israeli neighbors, then th- th- that is an achievable outcome. That maybe, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe this generation of babies being born now n- won't know anything different. Mm. I'll, I'll concede that. But maybe the generation after them or the one after them, there could be a different future. And it would be criminal if negligent, if international foreign leaders now, including President Biden, didn't try to keep working to that outcome. Is the US and its allies, including Australia, about to go to war in the Middle East? Nobody wants to see that happen. Uh, And everything that President Biden is doing, and I mean everything, 
is to try to prevent that outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not want to see this conflict widen or escalate. Uh, we have sent that message loud and clear to everybody in the region and to those parties who might think that there might be advantage in trying to escalate here. Um, and, and we've backed that up mm -hmm. with a, a, additional military capabilities. So you're ready, but not uh, but holding back. The message is, if you're thinking about jumping in and widening and escalating this, don't do it, that's one. Two, we have serious national security interests in the region, mm -hmm. and we mean to protect them and defend them, and we will. Admiral Kirby, thank you for joining The Daily Oz. My pleasure, thank you. Now, after speaking with Admiral Kirby, I then sat down with Corinne Jean-Pierre. She's the White House press secretary, and her job is to be the mouthpiece for the president. You'd probably recognize her if you searched her online. She's the one who stands in front of the media every single day at the White House press briefing. This is one of the toughest jobs, I think, in politics. She's grilled by a pack of American journalists for sometimes up to two hours on everything on the president's agenda. When I sat down with her one-on-one, -on -one, I wanted to ask her not just about the reason for our visit, but about the big issues facing Americans. Press Secretary, thank you for joining The Daily Oz. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. And welcome. Welcome to the White thank House. Thank you. Thanks for having me at the White right. House. Is this your first time here? First time at the White House. Oh, I've right. stood outside the gates once before, <laughs> um, looking in, but now it's very cool to be here. As a visitor or a protester? <laughs> visitor, visitor, visitor. Um, you, you have one of the hardest jobs, I think, in the building. You're the press secretary yeah. for the president. What's your metric of success? How do you know you're doing a good job? Well, first, let me just say it is an honor and a privilege to have this job. I'm a stone throw away from uh, the Oval Office. It's never lost on me and how big the job is and how important it is uh, to be the voice for the president, to be the press secretary, to be able to speak to uh, what he's trying to do or how he's trying to deliver uh, for the American people every day. And so uh, I measure it in the way of making sure that I communicate effectively with the people in front of me, right, the people in the press briefing room, but also to the American people. I always look at it beyond beyond the press briefing room because that's important. And so that's how I measure it. How are people getting that information if they're hearing us and if we're communicating that effectively? I want to go through a couple of topics yeah, today. Sure. Uh, I want to start with the US-Australia relationship. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, which is important, yeah, incredibly important to the president. But there's been some pushback from Republicans yeah. against some elements of the AUKUS deal. Do you and the president anticipate there's going to continue to be pushbacks at every step in the process? So we think there's been great success and great progress with AUKUS. Uh, the president, as you know, has asked for $3.2 billion uh, through, uh, through Congress mm. to continue that relationship, continue building on AUKUS. And so, look, it's, we think it's been successful. We think there's continued progress to be made. If you think about a free and open Indo-Pacific, that is incredibly important. And that's what you're going to see while the prime minister is here uh, these next day or two. Uh, but look, AUKUS is important. We've seen progress and success in AUKUS. The president's going to continue to push that forward. And we're hoping that we can get Republicans on board and get some bipartisan support on this. And some of the plans around the AUKUS agreement are multi-decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when, when they're only going to be executed in 2050, yeah, yeah. Beyond us, yeah, yeah beyond exactly. us, yeah. Is there, is there faith that the AUKUS deal will survive a change in government? We get that conversation even on domestic yeah. domestic legislation I'm that sure. we've gotten passed and the president has signed it to law. Do we, do we feel that that's going to continue mm. uh, within, uh, with other administration, right? And I think that's why it's so important to implement these now and start the process 
uh, on these uh, on these types of agreements or deals or, or or domestic legislation? Because once they get implemented and once the American people see the value and legislators see the value in them and how it changes people's lives or protects our national security or really make the Indo-Pacific uh, free um, and open, I think it's hard to pull back on it, right? We thought it was hard to pull back from, you know, major climate agreements <laughs> yeah. and all that kind of thing and the previous yeah. administration showed otherwise. Yeah. So yeah, well, I guess we well, can't take that for granted. We and, can't take it for granted. Yeah. You're a thousand percent correct. We can't take it for granted. But that's why we have to implement and do the work so people can see the value and what the president's trying to do. I get the sense that the US government is dealing with a number of crises on a number of fronts, yeah. whether they're economic or, or as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, in fact, you know, geopolitical uh, and international. Is there any bandwidth for the Biden administration to continue focusing on climate? Oh, absolutely. Even though there's all of these other oh, distractions absolutely. that are perhaps more urgent? Sam, Sam I, I say this all the time. This, this is the president of the United States. He's the commander in chief. He has to do multiple things at once. Mm. That is the job to do multiple things at once, whether he's doing commander in chief work, like meeting with the prime minister of Australia this week, dealing with what's happening in Israel, dealing with what's happening in Ukraine and much more or domestically. And he has been from day one has called climate change an existential threat. Hmm. an existential threat. And so he is absolutely committed to continuing to do that work. But you're right. There are so many hmm. crises, sadly, uh, that we have to deal with. But that's the job. That is literally yeah. the job of the president. And I think young people especially feel the existential nature yeah. of the climate threat. Absolutely. How do you, as the president's chief communicator, yeah. try and overcome that helplessness yeah. and that lack of hope? In, in a climate context? And it's, it's a great question, which is why we want to hear from young people. It is important for us to continue to hear from young people, continue to make sure that they feel that they have a, a space or a seat around the table. And look, I think when you look at the president, I don't think any other president has had this type of record, has had this type of motivation to deal with a real, real threat, not just domestically, but globally. And so I think... You know, if you look at that, you look at this president's record, you look at what he's done in this presidency and also with the Obama-Biden administration, this is a president that cares about climate change and has taken it incredibly seriously. Let's uh, flick around a couple of yeah. kind of U.S. hot topics. Gun control. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to quickly jump in here. There's one important note. We recorded this interview two days ago, and yesterday there was a major mass shooting in the U.S. state of Maine. Now, the press secretary obviously didn't have an opportunity to address this tragedy in our interview, and it's clear the Biden administration and future administrations on either side of politics has a lot of work to do on gun reform in the U.S. It's, it's unfathomable to, it's to unfathomable. most Australians that there's such a high level of gun violence here. Yeah. 12 months-ish out from the end of President Biden's first term, does the administration feel like they've achieved what they wanted to achieve in terms of gun control? So I'll say this, and I agree with you, it's an epidemic here. Gun mm -hmm. violence, sadly, in the US is an epidemic. It's the number one killer of our kids. And that's serious. The president has taken 
multiple actions. He was able to sign the first major piece of legislation in 30 years in dealing with gun violence. It was a it was done in bipartisanship. That was done last year. So that I think that we've seen certainly some effect there. And then just recently we announced the first, which is historic, the first office of um, uh, to prevent gun violence, gun violence prevention office. That is a big deal. And so the president has taken historic action. And I think we're starting to see some of the effects of the work that he's done uh, and the t- actions that he's taken. But it does not stop the fact that there's a lot more work to be done. One of the other big differences yeah. between Australia and America is compulsory voting. Yeah. And um, <laughs> in the US, you have this extra step of having to convince younger Americans yeah. to actually turn up to the polls. How are you in your position yeah, going to yeah. do that? So one thing I can say is going to be careful, can't talk about electoral politics, can't even talk about voting or turnout or anything like that. But what I can say is in 2020, the president, I think 81 million people voted for him. Mm. He, were, he was able to put together the most diverse electorate, right, to vote for him. And that includes young people came out uh, as well. And so, what, so that matters. Do you think voting should be compulsory? <laughs> I'm going to be super careful and not speak to anything forthcoming in the next electoral cycle. But I can say is that voting is incredibly important and voting rights is under attack in this country. And the president's going to continue to fight for that as well. Karen Jean-Pierre, thank you so much for <laughs> joining so us. Much. Thank you for inviting Sam, us to the White thank House. Thank you. This uh, was fun. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. This was such a special episode of The Daily Oz. Thank you so much for listening. If you learned something from this episode and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would be so helpful if you could please rate and review us. It really helps new people find us if we climb up the charts. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us get the word out. Just go to our show page and tap the Write a Review button. Thank you so much for listening to The Daily Oz and we will be back next week. 